O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen. What should we do? That's the question that Christians continually wrestle with. God the Father is creator of heaven and earth. And what should we do? Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But what should we do? The Holy Spirit dwells within each of us. And what should we do? Now embedded within this question is the assumption that faith is more than a set of ideas or a side to be on. Rather, faith has implications for our lives. The churchy way of saying this is that faith is incarnational, meaning that faith is about physical things, a faith that is embodied, a faith that is observable. And so we always have that question with us, what should we do? There was a young man who was largely wasting his time at university, more interested in parties than studying. He didn't have a care in the world when it came to responsibility or religion. In his early 20s, many of his friends, though, were moving on towards political office. And he figured that since his family could bankroll a campaign for him, he might as well do that too. So there he was, newly elected, but not really sure what it was all about. One summer, though, he took a trip around Europe with a friend, and this friend happened to be a Christian. And eventually their conversations turned to faith, and this young man slowly realized that his resistance to faith was gone. And at the age of 25, he was converted to following Christ. Christianity, though, is not a status. It is not an achievement to file away. The idea of baptism being born again really is a good metaphor, because in the same way that birth signals the beginning of a process of growing and learning, baptism is intended to be the beginning of our growth in Christ, not the end of it. And so for this young man, his conversion to faith did not give him an immediate sense of peace or purpose. Rather, in him, it provoked deep and unsettling questions. He wrestled with that question. What should I do? Now, at first, he considered making a career change, thinking that he had to get out of the messy world of politics and pursue ordination. But a friend convinced him that he should use his position and his influence for the glory of God to the alleviation of human suffering. From then on, he knew what he should do. William Wilberforce gave his life to making sure that slavery was abolished. Every year in Parliament, beginning in 1788, he introduced legislation to abolish the slave trade. And for 18 years in a row, that motion was defeated until it finally passed in 1806. But he did not stop there. He then pushed for the abolition of slavery in all British territories an act that passed just four days before his death in 1833. Wilberforce also championed the work of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and supported missionary efforts so that all people might come and know of God's amazing grace. 
I'm excited that as a part of our icon project, we will have the legacy of this saint here in our church as a great example of what happens when we ask that question, what should we do? What I so appreciate about Wilberforce is his persistence and resolve. For nearly two decades, it seemed as if his efforts were getting nowhere. He was coming up against the barriers of partisanship and prejudice. But as Mother Teresa once said, we do not need to do great things, but rather small things with great love. Wilberforce came and saw the difference that Christ made, and it made him different as well. This is exactly the sort of action that John the Baptist has in mind when people came to him and asked him what they should do. Well, if you've got two coats, share one of them. If you see someone hungry, give them food. Don't steal and don't extort from others. None of these is a huge ask. Now we're told not to eliminate poverty or hunger, but to care for those around us. These are incarnational responses, more than sympathizing with people and saying, yes, I know hunger's not fun, but one day God will feed you. Maybe that's true, of course but we are told to feed the hungry. Will Williman has said that one of the great problems with modern Christianity is that we have psychologized the gospel, turned faith into a thought, a feeling, a mood. Now, it's not that Christianity has nothing to do with our thoughts or our feelings, but more than that, faith in Jesus Christ is about our bodies. Our collect this week opens with a bold, prayer, asking God to stir us up. Now, when something gets stirred up, it means that it gets unsettled, uncomfortable, rearranged. In the words of John Lewis, this is a prayer asking God to make some good trouble in our lives. And that's what happened for Wilberforce. God stirred things up and turned them upside down. And when it comes to what God would have us to do, Things like being unsettled and stirred up might come along with it. When God stirs us up, our routines and plans often get disrupted. Maybe things won't go as we have planned when we take time to serve those around us instead of just serving our own interests. Maybe we will be put into some situations that are not comfortable. Maybe we will have to take some stands that are not popular. Maybe we will have to use our power and privilege on behalf of those who have little or none. As we're drawing near to Christmas, this is exactly what God did for us in Jesus. God came in the flesh, not to make us feel better about ourselves, but to stir things up so that the kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the problem with this is that we are really good at not being stirred. We like the status quo, and we will safeguard it at nearly all costs. Maybe we know that our institutions have a legacy of racism. Maybe we know that we really do need to get serious about making changes to our lives and our economy to deal with climate change. Maybe we know that if we want the church to continue, we will need to support it both financially and physically. 
Maybe we know that the way to a stronger community is to volunteer with communities and schools or Rowan helping ministries. Maybe we know all of these things. But our plates are really full right now. For the most part, for most of us, things are working right now. So we really don't want them to get stirred up. Sure, maybe a tweak here and there, but not stirred up. As simple as it might be to give a coat or not defraud people, it's not always easy, and it doesn't always come naturally. The problem is that, as the Collect puts it, we are sorely hindered by our sins. Or as John the Baptist says, we are a brood of vipers. Now, I know that's not language you often hear on the streets today. It's not a compliment. Vipers are poisonous. And at the time, it was thought that when a baby viper was born, the first thing that it would do is kill its parents. And even today, when we call people who are morally suspect slimy snakes, we are tapping into this idea. The perennial problem is, as St. Paul puts it in Romans 7, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. When we look at our world, we see a lot of hungry people without food, a lot of people without coats, a lot of people who have been defrauded and oppressed by the very economic systems that have made us comfortable. Now, what makes Christianity unique and beautiful is the response to this reality is not, well, you just need to try harder and do better. Because if this were simply a matter of our wills, then we would have unlocked heaven on earth a long time ago. Christianity acknowledges that while we might be doing our best, our best is not perfect. Our imperfection, our flaws, our resistance to being stirred up, though, is not damnable, but rather redeemable by the mercy of God. Now, the best that any of us can do is to baptize things with water, to wash the dirt off, and that works for a little while. It's sort of like those wonderful few moments every week where there's not a single piece of laundry to wash dry or fold. Isn't that a nice feeling? And it lasts for, what, a couple of hours, if that? John the Baptist tells us, though, that the one who is coming is not baptizing with water, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. Sure, water works for a little bit, but we all know that you can't wash a dish just once or take one shower in your life and never do it again. Scholars actually think that John might have been a part of the Essene community that lived out near the Dead Sea, where they took cleanliness very seriously, partaking of ritual baths daily. But Jesus comes as one who immerses us not in water, but in the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, I know that when we have a baptism, we still use water, but it's the same way that at the Eucharist we use bread and wine, knowing that the bread and the wine are not merely bits of grain and fermented grape juice, but rather the body and blood of Christ. Well, in the same way, the water of baptism is the means by which we are immersed in the Holy Spirit. And John tells us that the Holy Spirit is associated with fire, 
Now, taking a bath is one thing, but being cleansed by fire is something else. Fire is cleansing and it is transforming. In the fifth book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, C.S. Lewis writes about this baptismal purging and perfecting. There's a character named Eustace, who really is a self-righteous brat, and his greed leads him to steal a dragon's treasure, and in turn, he ends up turning into a dragon. The Christ figure, the lion, Aslan, comes to his aid and leads him to a pool of water where he can be restored. Eustace recounts what happened. The water was as clear as anything, and I thought if I could get in there and bathe in it, that I would be better. But the lion told me I must undress first. So I started scratching myself, and my scales began coming off all over the place. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Then the lion said, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty near desperate now. So I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made went so deep, I thought he went right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. And there I was, smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. And then he caught hold of me, and I didn't like that very much, for I was tender underneath now, since I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and soon I started swimming and splashing, and I found that all the pain had gone, and then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. When John the Baptist says of Jesus that his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, he's saying a similar thing. The God is going to transform us. And then Luke adds, So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Being baptized with fire and the Holy Spirit, having the scales of sin ripped off of us, is good news. Maybe not pleasant news, but good news. Our resistance to getting stirred up will be burned away. The things that we have done and left undone are taken care of by Christ. We are not beholden to our mistakes. We are not defined by our failings. The record against us has been expunged. Indeed, we might be as guilty as a brood of vipers, but through the grace of Christ, the Holy Spirit still dwells in each of us and works through us to stir up the fruits of the kingdom. Through God's grace, all of God's love is brought to the corners of this earth. So what are we 
to do. By faith and through grace, we can pray that bold prayer, asking for God to stir us up. And then when things get stirred up, not retreat to safety and comfort, but rather know that God will keep us secure in the peace of God that passes all understanding.